Now that's a handmade item I wouldn't want to buy. Hey Zesties, welcome to Season 4 of the Gleeful Talk Show. For those who have been here since the very beginning or when we were just starting out, thanks so much for being here all the way to Season 4. And for the newsies, welcome! This show is where we share zesty stories to cultivate the happiness and hero within and out. And a lot of you have asked to expand the topics that we cover on the show. And this is my first attempt to spice things up a little bit. So before we get into it, please follow and rate the podcast wherever you're listening right now. And a big shout out to our Zesties in the US. And I've been seeing a lot of you there and also in Europe. So hi Zesties from Slovakia and Spain as well. Please make sure to say hi on the comment section of the show's social media accounts or send through to gleefultalkshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to give me a cup of coffee or two, please head down to the episode notes to find out how. Now, what is today's show about? Well, Zassis, we have some somewhat something to cheer for and something to be disappointed about. But that's life. Let's try our best to develop resilience on whatever good or not-so-good things that life throws at us. Speaking of good, R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for sex trafficking women and girls. And if any of you zesties are way, way younger than me and not familiar with R. Kelly, he had a hit song in the 90s entitled I Believe I Can Fly, which was an OST of the 1996 film Space Jam. The song won a whopping three Grammy Awards and was an instant hit all over the world. I remember it was also a hit with singing competitions as well as karaoke nights back in the day. He was one of the most popular artists of his generation and considered one of the most influential R&B artists as well who sold more than 70 million records worldwide. He's written and produced so many artists, including Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, and Aaliyah. So before being sentenced to 30 years, let's take a few steps back in time as this wasn't the first time he was in court and any allegations were made. In fact, This is a culmination of decades of allegations, denials, court cases, and settlements. And with this verdict, it sure is quite the opposite of what Amber Heard was alleging before that her loss was a step back on women's rights. R. Kelly faced one count of racketeering, which means dishonest and fraudulent business dealings, and eight counts of violating the man with a double N. Act. The the Man Act or the White Slave Trafficked Act is to further regulate interstate and foreign commerce by prohibiting the transportation of women and girls for immoral purposes, basically prostitution and human trafficking of women. During the trial, several victims testified that Kelly used his status and fame promising to help these women with their recording careers and trick them into sexual relationships when they were underage. 
By the way, Zesties, there's a documentary with two seasons detailing sexual abuse allegations against R. Kelly. I haven't watched it yet, but I feel the need to cover this topic as soon as I can due to its relevance and with recent news. Former employees of Kelly also said that it was sometimes their job to hand out slips of paper to women bearing the singer's phone number. He was also accused of physically abusing and humiliating his victims and holding them against their will. What an extremely horrible experience he has given those young girls. In fact, these allegations go back 25 years ago, according to a journalist named Jim De Jim Derogatis, I hope I pronounced that right, who first covered the singer's alleged crimes in 2000. OMG, it's such a long time to seek justice. And I feel quite old saying the phrase 25 years ago, but I think the justice system as well is also fully packed. That's why these types of cases as well take so long time. Okay, guys, back to the topic, not to our ages. <laughs> Even back then, the court record shows the same pattern, which is Kelly coercing underage girls into sex using his fame. My question, though, is where were the parents of these girls during that time? It's just baffling to me that these naive little girls coming across a sexual predator, I hope there was a bit of guidance as well, so who knows? And one of those girls, in fact, Tiffany Hawkins, sued Kelly in 1998, claiming he abused her and several other underage girls. If you Zesties remember back then, I guess there was still that stigma about alleging someone famous about sexual abuse. So I'm guessing that's why it didn't gain traction at that time. And by the way, the same reporter broke out the story where R. Kelly on tape was abusing and urinating on a 14-year-old girl. This is really horrible and someone who derives pleasure in hurting other people is not okay. And perhaps becoming more aware of yourself and seeking help would mitigate that. But I don't know the full story about R. Kelly's childhood and etc. But this is completely not okay. And after a lengthy trial at which the alleged victims and her parents refused to testify, he was acquitted. And I can imagine that the parents also couldn't testify and maybe the victim was so mentally hurt, mentally, emotionally trained as well. So maybe that's why they couldn't testify. So he was acquitted. And unfortunately, even with these allegations at that time, his career still continued to boom. Wow. He performed internationally with Jay-Z and recording albums throughout the 2000s. Well, after I Believe I Can Fly, I actually couldn't remember him. Anyway, and what's more baffling to me is during his trial back then, fans still stood by outside the court yelling, quote-unquote, we're not giving up on R. Kelly. I, I, I don't know if these were paid off or whatsoever. So, why in the world did he get away after all this time and for this long? Well, this was pre-hashtag MeToo era. It was through settlements and non-disclosure agreements. Tiffany Hawkins as well settled her case against Kelly for 250 k 
while other women settled too. I just can't imagine the media at that time though. I mean, why this didn't come up? Or I don't know, maybe I was just not really reading newspapers back then. And again, this was pre-Me Too era, so everything was like so underdeveloped back then. And I guess the problem was that the quote-unquote look of settling doesn't really look quite right as well. But I totally understand that these women may have settled at that time, especially that going to court is a very expensive feat with the limited resources that they have against R. Kelly. And, and I guess at that time, you know, you just wanted to move on and, you know, just don't deal with it anymore. So I can also imagine why they settled. And there seemed to be a settlement factory going on where accusers were paid for their silence even before the case was publicly filed. Mind you, Zesties, so far in my research, there have been 48 R. Kelly victims and they're all women of color. So perhaps race was a factor as well in the courts back then. I'm not sure, just speculating. And that's why these victims' voices aren't heard as much. And did you know that he was actually married to Aliyah when she was 15 and he was 27? I remember Aliyah was quite a famous R&B star and she became an instant favorite of my sister when she starred in the hit movie Queen of the Damned. Have you watched this movie, Zesties? Let me know in your comments on my socials. But unfortunately, she died at a very young age of a plane crash back in 2001 and I vaguely remember now that... Now, don't quote me on this, but the plane might somehow crash in the Bermuda Triangle. And I also remember back then I was trying to research the conspiracy theory around the Bermuda Triangle. And I'm not sure if it's just a theory, a conspiracy or whatsoever, but that's what happened around that time. Anyway, back to R. Kelly. It was reported that Aliyah, when she was still alive, eventually broke off contact and the marriage was later annulled. And if you remember, she was 15 when they got married. Apparently, the documents were doctored so that she would appear to be 18 years old when she got married. So very dodgy business right there. What eventually brought R. Kelly down was the Me Too movement. There was a Mute R. Kelly campaign that was organized to get the music industry to drop its support for him. So in May 2018, Spotify stopped putting his music in playlists or recommending it. So good work, Spotify. It should be noted that he was still on the platform with 4.5 million monthly listeners. By the way, are you guys same as me like who just tried to find an already made up playlist? I don't know if it's because of age or it's just me, but because um, that's what I've been becoming lately on Spotify. I do have my own personal playlist back then, but if I want to listen to newer songs, I just go to Made For You playlist and just let it shuffle. I haven't noticed so far that any of his songs were on my Made For Me playlist. So, back to the recent events. Victims who spoke up against R. Kelly included his former wife, Andrea Kelly, who said she, she feared that Kelly might kill her. Mind you, Zesties, there were several victims and some even do not wish to be named and were just referred to as Jane Doe's. One victim directly addressed Kelly in 
in court, who kept his hands folded and his eyes down, which, by the way, from what I researched, is usually a tactic that was advised by lawyers so that whoever is the person considered powerful in the trial will not look intimidating to the witness on the stand. So, one of those victims told him, quote, You made me do things that broke my spirit. I literally wished I would die because of how long you made me feel. Do you remember that? Unquote. What a devastating statement and how horrible her journey must have been. But alas, after 25 years, justice is served Zestes, as R. Kelly has been sentenced for 30 years on multiple counts for sexually abusing women, girls, and boys after acquitted allegations back for prior years. The U.S. District Judge Anne Donnelly said that, quote, These crimes were calculated and carefully planned and regularly executed for almost 25 years. You taught them that love is enslavement and violence, unquote. But as usual, the defense disagrees with the characterizations that have been made about him and has pushed for a sentence of 10 years or less because he actually had experienced a traumatic childhood involving severe, prolonged childhood sexual abuse, poverty, and violence. Wow. Pulling up the trauma card. Interesting. I feel like everyone can pull out a trauma card now and not not owning responsibility or accountability. And speaking of which, did you guys heard about Amber Heard's appeal of a mistrial because of a quote-unquote fake juror? If you guys are interested about that, please do send me your feedback if you'd like to hear more about it. Some other trials against... R. Kelly is coming in August, so hopefully justice will be served on that as well. On a more recent happening last week, and quite a disappointing one, Zesties, the former Prime Minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, has been assassinated by a 41-year-old man using a handmade firearm. Okay, just so you know, I'm not really into politics, alright, but I'm also not into violence either. Who would have thought that that would happen? I thought assassinations were so 1990s or before that, or even just happened on the screen. All the more equally devastating and unbelievable was that it's handmade. Now that's a handmade item I wouldn't want to buy. I couldn't imagine him also being gunned down now that he isn't in office, considering that he was the longest serving leader of modern Japan. He has come from a prominent political family with his father Shintaro Abe who has served as Japan's foreign prime minister and his grandfather Nobusuke Kishi, a former prime minister. Politics does run in the family, hey. This was the first killing of an ex-Japanese leader since the 1936 coup attempt where several political figures were assassinated including two ex-premiers. Although there have been some assassinations in the past by Yakuza gangsters such as the mayor of Nagasaki in 2007 or the head of the Japan Socialist Party in 1960 from a gunshot and a samurai sword respectively. Shinzo Abe was appointed as executive assistant to the foreign minister back in 1980 and got elected to the House of Representatives around more or less 10 years later. 
then got appointed as Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary in 2000. He became Japan's youngest prime minister since the World War in 2006, overseeing economic reforms, and resigned a year later when losing control of the legislature and some health reasons. In 2012, he became the Liberal Democratic Party's president and he became prime minister for the second time. He served two more additional terms as prime minister, a total of four, and stepped down in 2020, citing health reasons again. Despite leaving office, he was still somewhat active around the political arena, and on the 8th of July this year, he was campaigning for a parliamentary election when he was gunned down by a 41-year-old man in the city of Nara. What was going on in my mind when I heard this news was, what the... How can someone shot him from out of nowhere, considering Japan has tightly controlled firearms policy and political violence not associated to its name? So, how can an average person just make a gun from his home like homemade cookies? Apparently, Zesties, Tetsuya Yamagami is not your average Ichigo but is actually a ninja slash shinigami of some sort because he's used to work in Japan's maritime self-defense force for three years but currently unemployed. Unlike R. Kelly, he took accountability for his actions and admitted that he shot Abe because he bore a grudge against a specific organization that he believed Abe was a part of. Now, Tatsuya-san, are you sure that this wasn't just a gossip you heard from your office? Even so, if the gossip is in fact could have an ounce of fact, it is still not good to shoot, kill, or harm someone. Why would you risk your life and freedom over your anger and hatred? And with the quote-unquote specific organization that Tetsuya was talking about, I'm just speculating here, but maybe it's the Liberal Democratic Party? I don't know. I'm curious what goes into Tetsuya's mind when he chose to plan the assassination. And I guess we'll never know entirely. I offer my respects to Shinzo Abe's family and may they find comfort in these trying times. So Zesties, what do you think of this episode? Don't forget to share to your friends and fellow Zesties. And if you have an episode recommendation, feel free to drop me a note on gleefultalkshow at gmail.com. See you next week. Aww.